entering the Freedom Hut. The president has declared a ban on travel between the U.S. and Europe. Fears about coronavirus are higher than they've ever been. We will break down all of the latest for you on this issue. Try to avoid as much of the politics as we can and get into what really matters coming up. This This is the Buck Sexton Show, where the mission mission is to decode what really matters with actionable intelligence. Make no mistake. You're a great American again. The Buck Sexton Show begins. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. Buck Sexton. It is Buck Sexton. Now. We have the best economy, the most advanced health care, and the most talented doctors, scientists, and researchers anywhere in the world. We are all in this together. We must put politics aside, stop the partisanship, and unify together as one nation and one family. As history has proven time and time again, Americans always rise to the challenge and overcome adversity. Welcome to the Buck Sexton Show, everybody. It was a uh, tough night last night for those of us who were watching. That was some some of the president's address to the nation last night from the Oval Office. Um, it was a bit of a wake-up call, I think, for many of us. Uh, now, let me start by saying that I have not changed my overall outlook here in the following way. I think that panic is on is not helpful. I think it's not warranted, and it is my belief that as long as we do everything that we can and everyone does everything that they have been told will mitigate this virus, we will come out of this on the other side okay. I mean, we're definitely going to make it through. It's just a question of what damage will be done along the way. And we are seeing for the first time in the Trump presidency what I would call Uh, wartime Trump. This is a wartime issue. Um, This is something that affects the lives of millions. Well, it affects all of our lives. So every single American is in some way affected by this. We all have loved ones who are in the higher risk categories. We all know people who are older and immunosuppressed, and we have to protect them. And there's a lot of government policy that comes into play here. It is distressing to see, and I'm going to try to avoid the petty partisanship. There are political arguments that are happening right now that we have to have because there are measures that are being taken. There are policies that are being debated in real time, as, as I'm here speaking to you, that will affect how we deal with this and also will help determine whether this is a crisis that we look back on and say, we did pretty well or... We got sucker punched. We weren't ready for it. We were not in a position to handle this properly. If we were talking in virus terms, you know, you all know the DEFCON system, right? If we were speaking about this in uh, terms of, of a virus or a pandemic, I mean, I'd say we're at, we're at DEFCON 3. And we are at an elevated state of, of readiness here. Um, we're at DEFCON 3 technically is the U.S. Armed, for, or US Armed Forces ready to deploy in six hours. And it is, uh, it is an elevated state. We are in an elevated state right now. Uh, it's interesting that the biggest outbreak was in China. We know that. The biggest outbreak has been in China 
But the and of course, this, those of you that can see me on video now, every every time any of us touch our faces, which is very hard to avoid, you just think, oh gosh, what have I done? The biggest outbreak was in China, but it's Italy that I think has really rattled people. The stories coming out of Italy are gut wrenching. You have triage situations where. Uh, and this is now being reported on in lots and lots of, of news outlets across across the country, triage situations where they simply don't have the medical resources to handle the influx because they got hit by a whole bunch of cases all at once. And now there are stories of the military trying to airlift people from the north of Italy and the other parts of the country. Look, there's obvious reason for concern, but there is not reason for panic. And those are different things. We have to keep this going. You know, last night, I will tell you that as I was listening to the president's speech, even I had a moment and I, I, I fired off a tweet. I was like, oh, my God, this is this is a pandemic. Pray for us. And then I, I deleted it right away because I thought, what, what a come on. Shields high. It's got to mean something. Now is when it really tests us right now. We see who we are as a country and what kind of emotional and mental uh, mental fortitude we have as individuals when called together in collective action. Wars, pandemics, there are only a few things that really bring us all into the same boat, and there's no way around it. And we are in the midst of a pandemic right now. And if the situation in Italy, where there are also stories about people who are at, who are not in the high-risk population in terms of their age or being immunosuppressed or having a a comorbidity, if that hasn't been concerning enough for people, and that should be very concerning because you have stories, at least anecdotal at this point, but people who are in their 40s and 50s who are on in the ICU. Uh, Has that been verified? How many? I don't know, but this is now circulating. And there's also a lot of a lot of hysteria. And uh, there is a lot of fake news circulating around about this. People also turning on each other, and this was this was I think my my initial frustration, uh, my, or my my greatest frustration because you know I I was faced with the liberal mentality on this a few weeks ago when I went out and I traveled on an airplane. It was right when people were really starting to get worried about coronavirus, and it was clear that there were, including Bill, uh, that the liberals around me, and it was everyone on that stage except for me, was a an avowed leftist liberal that their primary concern was to bash not just Trump, but also really to mock and ridicule anybody who is holding out faith and hope that the administration's doing everything they can. Not because I think they're so great or so perfect, and I could pick apart this administration's personnel, and I will pick apart the CDC later on this show. I used to work for the CIA, which if you're talking about a government organization that has its pick in terms of hiring and what feels like almost unlimited funding for the mission a lot of the time. And there was mediocrity, ineptitude, waste, abuse, and stupidity all over the place. Does anybody really think the CDC is like a bunch of super antivirus ninjas? Well, we already have some information that's come out that, yeah, they're helpful. They do some good stuff. I'm not saying that we don't, you know, I'm glad we have a CDC, but it's a reminder that if we're really going to beat this thing, it's going to take a lot more than... No matter what kind of government agency action could have been uh, mounted to help us in this process, but it was it was troubling to see. And I'm going to try, and I'm not going to be perfect. And I'm going to say that right right up front. I'm going to try to avoid taking 
taking jabs at the other side, even though they're, they're on offense here. The anti-Trump movement in this country, the never-Trumpers, the Democrats, the left, the socialists, the, all the loons, you know, the people that are, have been out marching in the streets for years, they can't help it. They're in a, in a frenzy of barely subdued delight that they think this is going to finish off the Trump presidency and deliver it to the Democrats. It's appalling. It's disgusting. It's not surprising, though. But I, I want to push back on their lies without trying to own them, as the kids say, you know, without trying to take any any cheap shots, anything petty. I'm not going to be perfect in this because I'm only human, too. And, you know, I still remember my message, if you ever saw it on, on the show, uh, on, on Bill Maher's show, was we, we all want, the, you know, we all want the president to succeed here. We want no deaths. This is about more than politics. And I came off and I was getting liberals writing me, I hope you get coronavirus and die. That's that's where that's where the left wing mentality has been on this all along. Never mind at this moment where we're particularly, uh, particularly anxious about this. Understandably so. So I'm going to try to make a promise to you because we're going to be in this now for the next at least 30, probably more like 60 days where this will be the dominant theme, the single news story that overshadows. Does anyone even really, you know, remember that we've we're we're in the midst of a presidential campaign right now, midst of a presidential election? Is anybody even really thinking about that? And, And I'm not saying they should be focused on that. We got more. We do have more important things right now. So while I'll talk about the politics as it affects policy, and I will have to push back on some of the lies and the unfairness, I, I will aspire on on this show. You know, I always aspired it to be, I do have to sometimes call people out and say that people are being dumb when they're being dumb. I mean, I, I there, are, there are limits to this, right? But as a guiding principle, uh, I will aspire to be uh, comp- not just fair-minded about this, but also keep our disc. Look, I'm not also just going to talk about coronavirus all day. I can't can't do that that's not worth your time every day we come on here when this continues and we're facing this pandemic we'll do some updates what matters what's going on where are we and then we're all going to talk about other things and you know producer mark and i might even have a little gallows humor in here sometimes i mean you know we're going to have to do that because if you're going to spend your time with me it's not just going to be the blaring headlines that you're seeing all over the news meant to meant to panic people drive up ratings keep everybody off balance and and worried. That's not what we do here. It's never what we've done. So I'm I'm really trying to recalibrate a little bit back to the the core mission of making sure that I give you all the information I can on this. That this is a place where I'll give you analysis. I mean, obviously, you go to any website and they've got the they've got the number of confirmed cases, and I'll inform you about that. But also, where are we really here? And and this is where it also matters that. You know, we all feel like a community, so I'll really appreciate all of your... I, I know that there are... I mean, I can think off the top of my head of a handful of uh, world-class infectious disease specialists or uh, immunologists or microbiologists who I know listen to this show. So, you know, those of you who have thoughts, who, who want to share your perspective, please do write in, uh, because we are we are hunkering down here. I mean, this is, is going to be batting down the hatches for a while. Producer Mark and I have been talking about how uh, we're, we're going to find a way to keep this show on the air no matter what, because there's still talk. I mean, we're here in New York City, uh, which has a, this big cluster of cases out in New Rochelle, but... I mean, I'm on. The, I was. Just, I just got off the subway before I came on the show, and yeah, there are less people, but there are still people because life has to go on. We got to still keep doing what we do, 
any look if i could stay home if if there were possibilities here that would allow us to continue doing everything we do without anybody being around anybody i'd probably do that for the next 30 days but that's not how it is right now but if something changes we'll find a way to make sure that our show goes on the air each night as it has been and uh, we're making contingency plans for that because I'm going to tell you this right now. I mean, and, and I, I'm being completely serious. If I end up having to quarantine just because of an exposure, God forbid, even actually contracting this thing, uh, as long as my lungs have air in them, I'm doing this show. I mean, as long as I have the physical capacity to do it, I will continue to do the show. So that's where we are on that. Also, last night, there wasn't just the president's speech. There was a bit of a a double whammy effect. It felt like piling on. Um, you had the news break that the NBA has canceled its entire season. It is very, uh, very likely as I go to air that the NHL season will also be canceled. And you had Tom Hanks and his wife, Rita Wilson, I believe, uh, both in Australia and confirmed to be with to have coronavirus. So you've one of the, you know, arguably the most <clears throat> famous and celebrated American actor, not just of his generation, but some would say in the world. I mean, he's certainly in the top 10, you know, it'd be Tom Hanks, Tom Cruise, uh, you know, maybe yeah, some people, but Harrison Ford, whatever, that doesn't matter. The point is this guy's super famous and that brings it home for people. That makes it seem more real, I think, to a lot of folks, this uh, this recognition all of a sudden that a anybody can get this. It does not matter. You know, this is a human disease. It does not matter, you know, how rich, how, you know, underprivileged, you know, what country you're from, what nationality. We have to do everything we can to use the knowledge that we have to try and defeat this thing. But the NBA season is canceled. Tom Hanks has this. St. Patrick's Day Parade in New York, St. Patrick's Day Parade in Boston, South by Southwest at Austin is already canceled. Coachella out in California has been canceled. Major sporting events, NCAA tournaments going to be played without fans in the stands. I mean, just go down. I mean, we're, we are in, we are in lockdown. That's where we are. Let's just be honest about where we are with each other, right? This is the situation. And you want to minimize contact with other individuals. You want to minimize certainly travel, all the things that you're hearing from from the CDC, because it's all about playing the odds and playing the numbers, right? Doing the doing the most you can, not just to elevate your own odds. Remember, there's this is where we we do have an interdependency here. We all we all need to make sure that we take care of ourselves, because in taking care of ourselves, we are better capable to take care of others, and also we are less likely to unknowingly expose others to possible infection. So this does start with the self. Each and every one of us has some uh, degree of responsibility. An another point that I think we all need to remember, the number of cases you see right now is a fraction of the people that are walking around in this country today who have coronavirus. No one knows what that fraction is, but you will not find a, a, you will not find a single health expert who thinks that we know about every case or even close to every case. And if you look at a, a heat map, which... Is, you know, a map that shows density, right? So if you look at a, at a heat map uh, of the corona cases across the country, I was pouring over one this morning. It's all over the place. You're reading about it a lot in Washington and in New York, but this is all over the country. And this is something that we will need to confront as Americans right now if we want to avoid 
the situation that's playing out right now in Italy. There is reason for uh, there are reasons for optimism. Optimism, not that this is going to it's not going to go away. It's not a hoax. By the way, Trump never said it was a hoax. And this falls in the category of got to push back on the crazy a little bit. Never said it was a hoax. They've been working on this. And the testing problems we keep hearing about are a CDC problem. The CDC in the manufacturing process, whatever that means, messed up the initial testing kits. South Korea has gotten a pretty good hold on this virus. China has brought the curve down. Doesn't mean it's totally gone. Has brought the curve down. Um, this also means that this virus will probably be something that we have to deal with for the foreseeable until a cure or a vaccine comes up. And that could be a lot longer than people think. Yeah, I said this to you and I wasn't trying to be glib, but how's that How's that common cold vaccine coming on? Now, now the cold is hundreds of different viruses and that's part of why it's very hard to get a vaccine for it. But this could be more complicated than we think it is just because it's going into human trials early. Look, it's a positive sign. I'm not trying to ignore that. But, you know, we, we need to stay we need to stay absolutely focused here on what we know and we need to take care of each other. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. just got an update uh, literally just got an update from producer mark right after i said yeah the nhl has canceled their season so and other sports conferences right who, who else is suspended the oh, nba suspended. and nhl are both saying suspended. suspended okay so it could come back theoretically yes. at, and we've got conference uh, conferences like the big 10 big 12 con- uh, canceling their conference tournaments ncaa still is on to play without fans but that might be in question now so looks like you're going to have a big everybody just get ready for it. waves and waves of cancellations you know stay home netflix video games that's what that's what we want to be doing here read stay away from people social distancing these are all good practices they're not perfect and they're not absolutes if you got to go out you got to go out you got to get food you got to do what you got to do but these are all good practices to have. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. The game tonight has been postponed. You are all safe. And take your time in leaving the arena tonight and do so in an orderly fashion. Thank you for coming out tonight. We are all safe. And you can visit OKCThunder.com for updates on upcoming games. So sports are in rough shape right now. We got cancellations. We just talked about the NHL uh, post-suspending, as producer Mark has pointed out, suspending the season. Other leagues are suspending. I mean, if they suspend long enough, it's going to be basically canceled. Uh, I wanted to bring in Clay Travis to talk to that issue, but also his thoughts on just everything we're facing right now. Clay is the host of Outkick the Coverage, very popular podcast, and also the author of the book Republicans Buy Sneakers 2. Clay, thanks for joining us. Are you in Nashville right now? I am in Nashville. Appreciate you having me, man. Yeah. Uh, so tell me what's what's going on here, first off, with this NBA player who tested positive. I saw something that he also had made a joke earlier about having coronavirus and turned out he did. What what can you tell us about what's going on with the NBA and coronavirus? Yeah, Rudy Gobert is a player for the Utah Jazz, and uh, he had made a joke a couple of days ago at a press conference about the coronavirus by, like, rubbing his hand all over the microphones that he was being interviewed on uh, as he walked out. And obviously it was lighthearted. He was not taking it seriously. 
he got the coronavirus. He also has given it to at least one of his teammates. Um, and, uh, and obviously this has since uh, spiraled into a major issue in the world of sports and beyond because with the quarantine situation that everybody has, once one player on one team gets it, that entire team uh, is required to quarantine. And so are, to a certain extent, all of the uh, players who played against uh, that, uh, that player. So, uh, so it has spiraled into an uh, ongoing, uh, I think it's fair to say, crisis for the world of sports, which is unlike anything I've ever seen before, where one by one different leagues and different tournaments are making the decision basically to call off their games. What does this mean, you think? Just, I mean, look, there's so many angles on this one, but let's start with just the, the, the health of the, of the leagues, pardon the expression, but, you know, the, the financial uh, impact this is going to have in arenas. I saw something uh, that, that Mark Cuban is making an effort, he says, for at least for the, for the Mavericks to take care of hourly employees who are obviously going to be in really rough shape with the season, uh, the season being shut down. What can you tell us about how they're trying to mitigate the impact economically? Well, I mean, I think that's a big challenge, right? Um, And honestly, this is me putting my lawyer hat on. I'm already kind of, you know, purely from a uh, legal perspective, utterly fascinated to see what all these lawsuits and uh, and insurance contracts are going to look like. Uh, Because you can probably imagine this. For years and years, pro sports leagues have been taking out insurance in the event that something wild happens, which necessitates games not taking place, maybe the cancellation of seasons and trying to figure out what the economic value of that would be. You know, you probably pay, what do you think? I mean, I don't even know. I'd love to get an insurance expert on, but several million dollars to ensure that your season is going to continue to take place, but your payoff is going to be massive in the event that it happens. And it kind of reminds me um, of, in terms of the, uh, in terms of the, 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 uh, the unlikelihood of it, of what happened after 9-11 when uh, for, for lawyers out there, they'll remember there was a big lawsuit over whether the two planes that hit the twin towers were one event or two events because it impacted in a big way uh, what sort of recovery there was going to be under the insurance contract. And I don't even remember what the resolution of that case was. But you think about the 30 different uh, places out there, right, the 30 different uh, you know, NBA arenas and the 30 different teams and all of the different aspects of that that they will have set up and all the lawsuits that will unspool. It's just kind of massive to think about. Now, uh, are there any leagues that are, are that you, that are right now planning to sort of just continue with contingency operations with no fans in the stands going forward? I mean, who, who, how, how are adaptations working here for, other, for any other sports well, leagues or any other uh, events? It's happening so, so quickly, honestly, that I, like, if I haven't checked my phone, I almost hesitate to say because something might have happened in the last five minutes. Yeah, yeah and that actually just happened to me. I said the NHL is thinking about canceling, and then we came back from a break, and then turns out they're canceling. Yeah, right. So, uh, so I mean, I think that's the challenge, you know, Buck, right now is that literally it's almost impossible to keep up with how quickly this story is moving. Now, I've also seen, you know, you're somebody who uh, has been pretty vocal on social media, and, and I, I'll just say, I mean, you and I haven't talked about this yet, I've been taking the position that, you know, this is a be vigilant, 
take the precautions, but they're they're really people say there's no need to panic, and that almost then incites panic. You know, it's it's like Will Ferrell in old school when he says keep your yeah. composure, and he's like flinging the chair yeah, around yeah. the locker room and freaking out. Yeah. I, I think that right. there's a psychological effect that it has on people say don't. But I really don't. You know, I, I think sometimes there can be a need for panic. You know, there can be a need for everybody to hit the exits, and we're not there. I don't think we're anywhere close to there. Walk me through where you know your evolution and thinking about the risks here as somebody who pays very close attention to the news has been vocal about this you know where where'd you start and after what we saw last night from president trump and how worried are you man i mean that's really the question i am not incredibly worried all right i I think it's an interesting question uh and let me just take a step back i tend to be a guy like and you probably award as well because you're a smart guy when i was a kid i was scared of everything right like a young kid because you're aware that there is danger in the world but you lack the ability to unpack probabilities and statistics of what that danger represents so like you're willing to go into the ocean a little bit you know there's sharks out there but you're not smart enough to understand what the chances are of a shark actually biting you right um and so i was terrified of things like that as a kid and as i got older i used uh, sort of my fear as a the way that i would weaponize against it is by diving into facts and data in order to try to uncover the answer there right And so I believe that most of us are very safe, right, from this pandemic. Right now, according to the most recent data I've seen, there are 10 people in serious or critical condition in the entirety of the country. Um, And there are 38 deaths, I believe. What's scary is if we went in the direction of Italy, which is about 75 times as bad when you adjust for per capita as what we have in the country right now, that would change. My hope is that we're going to move more towards Uh, what South Korea and China, how we're able to do in terms of virtually eradicating uh, the outbreak in their countries, as opposed to towards Italy and Europe. And I think what Trump has done is basically say, hey, Europe is a powder keg right now. It's in danger of becoming China-like. And so we need to keep people from coming from Europe to our country and reigniting uh, more cases going forward. And in terms of the the statistics on on uh, mortality rate and and all, all the numbers that you're seeing, there's this big debate over: is it worse than the flu? Is it is it similar to flu? Do you have? I mean, do you, look, I know you're not an epidemiologist or a doctor, neither am I. But from from the latest data that you've seen that you've been diving into, what what's your take on the uh, both the ability of this thing to spread comparatively to other diseases that we see that are like it? And, and the mortality rates. I mean, you mentioned you know Italy versus uh, versus South Korea. How bad is it in South Korea? Okay, so South Korea is the best case scenario. Um, and the data that, that we have seen from South Korea reflects that if you get the uh, coronavirus in South Korea, it, it doesn't matter how old you are, but obviously this impacts people a lot older, but 99.3 uh, or 99.4% of all patients are recovering. That is, they are not dying, which would mean that 0.6 or 0.7% of people are dying from this. Uh, so that's the best case scenario, is what's going on in Korea, South Korea. And I tend to think that our medical system would be more similar to South Korea's than it would, say, to Italy's or certainly uh, other countries. Uh, the, the, the fear uh, that, that I think is out there is that uh, the coronavirus, we're still learning the transmission rates. The World Health Organization has said that it is less contagious, the coronavirus is, uh, than the flu. Okay, Others have disagreed. I think this just uh, reflects the fact that we're in a very early stage of understanding this disease. And so uh, the question which is going to be asked, and I think will be utterly fascinating as we move forward, is 
why did Italy have the problems that they had? Now, maybe it's the fact that the country is uh, older, right? Uh, Italy is one of the oldest countries uh, in the world. Uh, they, they are very social in the way that they kiss, right? Like they, they, they are very close in terms of personal contact. contact. They have a massive tourist uh, crowd that was coming over from Asia. Uh, they may have had outbreaks that similarly broke out all at the same time. Their, their overall uh, infrastructure at hospitals may be uh, severely decrepit compared to other countries. I think this will be, for epidemiologists, an incredibly interesting study when all of this is passed to try to figure out and learn for the future what did South Korea do so well uh, what did uh, what did uh, Italy do so poorly, and which direction is the United States going to go in terms of being South Korea-like, where we basically end uh, this outbreak before it has a systemic uh, overlapping, uh, you know, deleterious effect for the country, or are we going to spiral into a, a tailspin of uh, of ineptitude, much like has happened in Italy? Now. Do you think that it was the right move to cancel all these sporting events and arenas and stuff? I mean, if, if you were the if you were the professional sport czar for America, would you say, yeah, guys, we need to do this? Well, I think Rudy Gobert put it all on steroids because once you get a player who tests positive, then that team's going to have to be pulled out of competition. So I don't know that the NBA has any other options once Rudy Gobert tests positive. And I think that is why all these other leagues are acting the way they are, because they're saying, oh, we're going to have a player in the same situation as Rudy Gobert. Let's go ahead and keep this from happening. And I believe that is the biggest challenge that, uh, that is out there, is we basically skipped a step. Because I think the step was going to go from no crowds, right, from crowds to no crowds, uh, playing in front of no crowds. And I think that might have held for a month or might have even been able to last for a long time. But for the fact that Rudy Gobert got the flu, which jumps you right from, well, playing in front of no crowds is not an option anymore. Let's just wipe out the whole uh, season for suspension right now. Now, remember, it's not canceled, it's suspended. Uh, and so we'll see the, 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 whether that suspension is lifted and we return to the rest of the season depends on how things go uh, in, in, the, in the weeks and months ahead. All right, everybody. You heard it from man himself, Clay Travis. Check out his podcast, Outkick the Coverage. Check out his book, Republicans Buy Sneakers, too. Clay, thanks for making the time. Stay safe, hydrate, wash your hands. Same for you, my man. I appreciate you having me on. Thanks. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. We just had some breaking news. Uh, We're going to have breaking news throughout the show, I think, on this. The Prime Minister of Canada, Justin Trudeau, is now self-isolating over coronavirus. Fears. He knows he's not been confirmed to have it, but he's self-isolating because of concern that he may be in, he may have been in contact. His with, wife has flu-like symptoms, so they're testing her. That's why. Yeah. And the, I mean, I, I'm not I'm not trying to be even glib or funny about this at all. I literally, I, I just I, it's, now you recognize more than ever how much you touch your face. And I'm sitting here and I'm doing a radio show, and we also broadcast it on Pluto TV, and and it's really hard to not touch your face. Uh, Trudeau is is the first head of state that I know of who has been, look, we don't know if his wife has coronavirus. There's still flu out there. So there are people that have very similar symptom profiles to to those with coronavirus who actually have standard influenza, which I would note is also not, not anything to be taken lightly. Um, but we're just not, we know more about it. You know, we know that it's um, considered less a less serious disease than coronavirus at this point. So it's possible that his wife has just the flu, but obviously everyone right now is very concerned that 
anything that seems like it's flu is going to be is going to be. And also, I mean, look, I, I'm not trying to make some big political statement. It's coronavirus is a family of viruses. That's not really we. It should be called Wuhan virus, so we know what we're talking about. Wuhan virus is what causes uh, COVID-19, and no one really is going to call it COVID-19. So I'm not trying to make some big political statement. I just think that we call all all these other diseases. I don't know why all of a sudden we're supposed to change. I mean, it should be called the Wuhan virus, but. I'm bring, one, this is just you got a, a head of state of a country right next door, our close our close friends, our brothers and sisters in Canada. And this is clearly going to get a lot of attention because if the wife has COVID, see, I just did it. If the, if the wife has, I guess we're going to keep calling it coronavirus till we all agree we can call it something else. But uh, if the wife has the virus, then there's a very good possibility that the prime minister of Canada. Now, as we all know, he is young and healthy. So chances are he would have, statistically speaking, he would have a something like a cold. You know, it wouldn't be. That's what 80 percent of people have. You know, they have some shortness of breath. They have a cold and, you know, it attacks their system, but they're OK. But there are other heads of state, including in this one, um, who are at an elevated risk profile because of their age. They, they've, I didn't even mention this at the start of the show. There's so many things. They've shut uh, Capitol Hill and the Pentagon from visitors. So they're still conducting business, but there have been some staffers on Capitol Hill who have come down, some Senate staffers, I believe. And there'll be more. I mean, if there's a couple of Senate staffers, there's going to be more Senate staffers. They're all moving around the same hallways, breathing the same air, interacting in these places. So it's it's very likely um, that you're going to see a number spike on Capitol Hill of confirmed cases, and we, we're you know Tom Hanks has it. We're going to see more people who you would think, oh, they don't have to worry. And I, I know that no one consciously thinks about this, but you know you, you think about very influential, powerful celebrities and you know politicians. It's easy to get in your head, ah, oh, well they're they're not they're not somebody that has to really worry about this. I mean. I'm pretty sure the flu actually killed a czar of Russia in the 19th century. And that's just off the top of my head. I mean, you know, this stuff happens. Very famous, very powerful, very uh, influential people can succumb to this. I mean, this is this is a a human condition that we're all so concerned about. This is any human being is susceptible to this. And unless you are in a hermetically sealed box and having somebody bring you food that has been sterilized all the time. I mean, no one is perfectly safe from this. And I and I worry that the you know that there are some some panic points that I think are coming. Uh, the panic points are going to revolve around if look, let's just say it, if if Trump or Biden or or Bernie or Schumer or Pelosi or McConnell or any of the L, notice I'm picking those names, those are all not just powerful politicians in this country, they're all older. They're all pretty much, you know, in their late 60s into their into the 70s, all the way up to Sanders is almost 80. And they're still shaking hands, although I think they're going to stop that. They're going to have to cancel all political rallies. They're effectively going to have to suspend, not cancel, because we understand the importance for political, I mean, for uh, professional sports right now, the difference. They're going to have to suspend the presidential election in a sense, uh, not all of it. People can still, you know, write stories and put out their stuff online. And aren't we all, in a sense, very lucky to have the Internet-enabled world that we live in where we still have all this communication and instant information? And now I know there's a bad side of it because there's a lot of hysteria and panic that this is uh, this is coming from. But, you know, I, I want to dig into what I 
what I think is, well, let's talk about some more of what Trump said last night and then we'll also look at what's coming so that we're all prepared for it. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. After consulting with our top government health professionals, I have decided to take several strong but necessary actions to protect the health and well-being of all Americans. To keep new cases from entering our shores, we will be suspending all travel from Europe to the United States for the next 30 days. The new rules will go into effect Friday at midnight. These restrictions will be adjusted subject to conditions on the ground. There will be exemptions for Americans who have undergone appropriate screenings, and these prohibitions will not only apply to the tremendous amount of trade and cargo, but various other things as we get approval. Anything coming from Europe to the United States is what we are discussing. These restrictions will also not apply to the United Kingdom. So that was the biggest policy moment last night during the president's address. And that was the I'll be honest that for me, that was kind of the old crap moment, because this is that's a real escalation. Uh, Stopping flights from China. You could say, well, why is that so different? Well, one, as much as China is a billion people, we tend to think of China as one country. Stopping flights from all of Europe, and I believe we have significantly more air travel from Europe to the U.S. than we do from China, uh, just felt like it got a whole lot closer to us. Maybe that's just a perception thing, but that was a moment where it's clear the administration is now, as, as I said at the top, I mean, Trump is, this is wartime Trump. You are seeing wartime Trump right now. Decisions that are being made will affect lives. The federal government has a role to play here the same way the federal government. You know, usually we talk about just letting letting the market do its thing. And no, we, we can't just let the market do its thing on this. There is a government response the same way that it wouldn't be left to you know, the free market if North Korea invaded California tomorrow. This is where the government has a role as well as a massive role for the private sector. You know, I tell you this, if we see a, a cure or more likely and, and I think in a sense even more a cure is going to be a vaccine, and who knows when that will actually be uh, on the market. Although I do believe they have a, I believe uh, they have a vaccine now for Ebola, for example, which years ago people thought maybe that was a challenge you would not be able to meet so quickly. Um, a, it's going to take a while. A treatment, though, for this. I mean, what what has to happen is have something that helps people, that even just suppresses the attack on lungs. That's really where this goes. It, it attacks, it causes interstitial pneumonia in both lungs is the really, and once it gets in the lungs, in both lungs, and, and it, you know, the inflammation and the difficulty breathing and the, the strain that that puts on the rest of the organs, and it's very, that's where in the particularly at-risk populations, you have the fatalities coming. And also where you have people who are in an ICU for two, three weeks, uh, perhaps even more, under very precarious and uncomfortable and, and difficult circumstances, right? I mean, the mortality rate, unfortunately, does not is not the only thing to really be concerned about here. We're also going to have people that are in the ICU for a month, two or three weeks, maybe more. You know, that's what's going to happen. And that's no, they're not going to be in the ICU able to get visitors and and you know it's it's going to be tough for for a while there it's very and and also it's going to be a fight right it's it's one thing to be in the ICU if you know your prognosis is 
oh, it's you're going to be fine, just give it time, which, I mean, I guess then you'd probably be considered stable. I don't know how long you'd be in the ICU. But if you're on a ventilator, I mean, that's and that that's going to be uh, a, clo- a closer-fought battle than any of us ever want to be in that position. So, look, this is, uh, this is where we get into now the travel ban and how that might help. And, look, it, it is going to help. And I'm a little bit stunned to see that there are people out there. And this is where we get into some of the politics of this, right? And look, today's today's a today's a, a a sober day, a solemn day in a sense uh, on the show, right? There's and I, we're going to ease into some other topics and some other things, but you know, right now, I mean, the, the country, like I said, it's a wake up call, and we're at war with a virus. That's what's happening right now. Um, I said, I think to you, even just yesterday, there's going to be a day when I come in. I I knew it was going to happen, given the trend in the last two weeks or so. I didn't know it would be here right away. I didn't know it would be here now, but that's where we are. We are at, as I said, we're not at DEFCON 1. This is not all out. You know, we don't have martial law. We're at virus DEFCON 3. You know, we're at uh, maybe maybe DEFCON 2, but DEFCON 3 for sure. So uh, the president talks about this travel ban and what could be more intuitive than, you know, the the, the big concern, you have to understand, the, the concern that, that all the policymakers have right now that everyone's trying to figure out is not only stopping the spread of this, but elongating the curve and the spike of cases. Because let's just, well, I'll, and this is this is make-believe math, so these are not real numbers. But just to, let's say in, in a country you have, I'll just say in a, a, a make-believe country too. Let's say the country of uh, Pakistan has 10,000 uh, 10, beds for ICU patients and 5,000 uh, ventilators, right? Which let's just say that that's the case. And you bring in and, and you have 100 cases of coronavirus. And of that 100 cases, you have 10 people who need, you know, who need that critical care. You're, you're in good shape. But if you have... A thousand people who are cases of coronavirus and they spread it and then all of a sudden you have 15,000 cases you only have 10,000 beds and they all come in at the same time because the spread has been allowed to happen very rapidly all at once because there have been have not been mitigation measures then you get people that are in the hallway at the hospital unable to breathe and the doctors are having to do triage as though we're in a mass casualty disaster like a uh, an earthquake that's killed thousands of people or a you know, mass casualty terror attack or something where they're just trying to keep as many people alive as they can and making decisions about who's going to live and who's not. So even if, if you only have 10,000 beds and you end up having 100,000 cases, but you only have, you know, let's say, a few thousand a month coming through, you, your medical system can handle that. If you get you know, 20,000 cases in one month and only 10,000 beds. Now you've got a huge problem. So the timing of, of the spread of the virus really does matter to the public health, to the health system in general. And that's why limiting flights, everything that we can do to keep the numbers low as long as we can is critical. And yet you have people out there like Obama, White House, Ebola czar, Ron Klain, who says this? Play, play 13. Look, I think part of this, Rachel, is the classic Trump distraction tactic. He wants to see progressives debate the travel ban, so on and so forth, and yeah. not come after where he has failed. 
We have tested five people out of every million in this country. In Korea, they've tested 2,000 people out of every million in their country. There is no reason why South Korea doesn't have technology we don't have or a health care system we don't have or anything we don't have. It is a failure of leadership of the Trump administration. He is doing anything he can to move the conversation elsewhere to get us to talk about something else and not focus the fact that even tonight, even in that Oval Office address, all he can say about testing is we're going to do more of it sometime, yeah. some number of people. We're getting, somehow, we're getting to it. We're getting yeah. there. Right. That's that's job one that's job number one uh travel ban is a distraction is is a a reckless and stupid thing to say every i'm paying attention to what actual experts are saying about all this different stuff and you know there have been conflicting numbers uh you know i i i saw early on people who were saying that they they were uh thinking the numbers the mortality remember the mortality rate we're initially told was 3.6 percent around there in Italy right now they're estimating it's at, it's at 6% which is very high which is why Italy is really this is this case study that has everyone so concerned now it looks like global mortality is closer to 1% but that's still 10 times the flu's mortality rate which is 0.1% right so the numbers are changing the data is changing you know just cuz an expert says one thing today doesn't mean they're not going to be wrong or change their opinion tomorrow but i've seen no experts who make the case that limiting travel from, I mean, actual medical experts who care about keeping people alive. Ron Klain's a political operative. He's a hack, okay? He's worked for, you know, the Clintons, the Obamas. I mean, this is, this is what this guy does. And he was put in charge of the Ebola response by the administration. Ebola is much easier to contain than this virus. The Wuhan virus is airborne, is easy to contract, and is is spread rapidly through casual contact. Ebola, you have to get someone's blood in your system. Basically, you have to get the you know their 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 actual excretions in your system. That's different. You know, there weren't clouds of 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 blood in the air that people could walk through and get Ebola from. That's not how it works. So it's a lot easier to contain. But my my point here, just being you know what this guy is saying is unhelpful. This is exactly. The kind of cheap, petty politics when people are really worried right now. You know, I'm sure every person out there who is who's taking a lot of time out of their day to trash Trump uh, and say that he's doing a bad job on this has people that they're worried about. I mean, I, I have people in my life that I have elevated concern for because they're at higher risk. And, you know, and look, anybody's at risk in a sense. I mean, you know, we got this kind of a disease. You don't know your system's going to react. I'm not trying to scare people more than we're already scared, but you know nobody wants to get this. Nobody wants to get this, uh, especially people that are in the higher risk category. But everybody should be concerned about it. What? Why? Why pretend that the travel ban is not something that's going to have any effect that's helpful? If the whole problem is, try, or I should say, if the the primary effort right now is trying to prevent there being a huge immediate spike in cases. Limiting the influx of people from places where they've already had or are undergoing right now a particularly high percentage of people infected with this virus, of course that's a good idea. And to focus on the community spread, this is a walk and chew gum situation. Yes, we focus on community spread and we stop the importation of the disease. It's very straightforward when you think about it, but there are, look, there's a lot of, of nonsense from brainless Democrats out there right now who are taking this as an opportunity 
to they they think and I have to say this this needs to be there are people for whom you know Russia collusion and uh the Ukraine impeachment and you know all this stuff that they've been that they've been saying about Trump and they've just been wrong they've been wrong and wrong and wrong and lies and wrong now they think that they finally have an opportunity to get their way and bring about the end of this administration and they can't even think straight about what's happening in the country right now <clears throat> pardon me they can't even think straight about that because they're so focused on using this to score points against the president it's very disheartening and we should all be on guard against this because they're also the, 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 i mean this guy is an, uh, this guy somebody who was an, an ebola containment czar under obama and he's going on tv to tell millions of people that the travel ban doesn't matter, which then is going to involve those people, going to result in those people saying, well, then why are they doing it? Maybe we shouldn't have a travel ban. They'll put pressure on the on the administration, pressure on their elected officials that we shouldn't have a travel ban. And they're just say, he's just saying this because he's looking to score points against the administration. I mean, that's really gross. That's really grotesque. It's a dumb thing to say. I've heard people who are medical experts now put forward on this issue specifically. They're like, yes, limiting flights, limiting spread, absolutely the way to go right now. So why say that it's a distraction? Why be so flippant about this? You know, you're really, people are showing you who they are in this whole ordeal, especially people in authority, people in the media, people that have influence over what you think about what's, ha- about what's happening in this country and around the world. And they are, many of them are using it recklessly. And I I also think they'll never, they'll never be any uh, soul searching over this, but the the same media that has been in a, has been lighting their credibility on fire for years to attack the Trump administration now turns around and says, why don't you believe everything we say about this and that none of it is political? Well, because they've cried wolf, because they've, they have sold their credibility They've sold their credibility for short-term audience gain, for uh, placating the the Trump deranged left. That is what they have been doing. So, of course, we take that into account. But, I mean, that was very, very troubling. I mean, look, here's a perfect example of of what I'm talking about. Um, You know, Jim Acosta is out there. And, you know, know, Jim, I I don't know Jim Acosta. I got to tell you, you know, it's amazing to me that CNN thinks that this isn't just completely that he's not an example of something that destroys just destroys their credibility i mean if anyone's being honest jim acosta is an activist he's he's playing games all the time but here he is he has access to the president of the united states and he does have unfortunately a very large platform from which to inform the american public and he is asked as a white house correspondent meant to convey information to the public after the president gives a speech from the oval office he is asked to you know bring context and analysis to it that's helpful at a time of real national concern and here is what he does with that uh, that ability play clip 10 at one point during this address uh, the president referred to the coronavirus as a quote foreign virus uh, that that I think was interesting because as I was talking to sources earlier this evening one of the points that the president wanted to make tonight wanted to get across to Americans is that this virus did not start here uh, but that they're dealing with it now why the president would uh, go as far as to describe it as a foreign virus that is something we'll also be asking questions about but it it should be pointed out that Stephen Miller uh, who is an immigration hardliner who advises 
the president is uh, one of his top domestic policy advisors and speechwriters, right. uh, was a driving force in writing this speech. And I right. think it's going to smack, uh, it's going to come across to a lot of Americans as smacking of uh, xenophobia, uh, right. to use that kind of term in this speech, Chris. Well, look, sometimes we can answer the questions. And the answer is he's doing it to put blame somewhere else. What a bunch of morons. I mean, really. It is a Chinese virus. It did come from China. And the Chinese government suppressed information in the beginning that could have given the whole world a head start on developing tests, vaccines, uh, cordoning off people, creating measures to uh, help with public safety. Yeah, that's all. That's true. That's real. And the Chinese government is actively lying to its own population, trying to blame America for this. That, that's happening right now. There is a Chinese government propaganda effort to blame America because this is going to have, you know, global financial implications. Could last for quite a while, the, the implications of it. I mean, who knows? I mean, no, no one really knows how long this whole thing's going to continue on in, in any respect. So that could happen. And now we look at this and we say to ourselves, okay, well, should we just allow, allow the Chinese government to rewrite history and lie? Should they be able to tell the whole world, including their own population, that America is responsible for this? This happened because someone in China was selling rare animals in what's called a was was being called a wet market, an open air market in Wuhan City in Hubei province in China. That's what or it escaped from the virology institute that happens to be 10 miles away, which wouldn't be the first time that a infectious virus has escaped from that institute at all. Uh, It's one of those two things. So, yeah, it's Chinese. Why can't we speak about this honestly? No one, no one's blaming the Chinese people for it, but we're trying to describe a thing. And why do they waste our time getting into this? I mean, look, CNN, I, I, you'd think that now they would raise, they'd raise the bar. Now they'd be serious. They can't. You shouldn't trust them. You shouldn't respect them. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. And so we have targeted our relief. We make it, it's aimed at people, not at big corporations, not at some kind of general long-term economic plan that the president might want for other purposes. It seems the president, president seems to be more worried about the health of the big banks than the health of Americans. We don't believe that works. And so the administration is proposing tax cuts and bailouts for the airline industry, the oil and gas industry, that's just out of touch. The bottom line, we need to put people first. All right, let's talk about the response now. I've told you a lot about where we are, what the threat is that we face, how we need to come together. I've tried to minimize the politics, but as I said, there's politics is a discussion that involves policy, and policy at the national level, at the local level, is is part of our response right now. So I want to bring in our friend David Harsanyi from National Review to speak with us a little bit about this. David, thanks for making the time. Always a pleasure. Thanks. All right. Uh, first, you know, the, the people are talking about bailouts, stimulus, Fed policy, uh, helping the airline industry, helping the, uh, the cruise industry. You know, what, what do you make of let's start on the on the economic side of all this. What, what do you make of the actions the administration talked about that Trump talked about last night and that now Democrats are, are passing bills to try and do something? Well, the truth is, truth is, I don't know. I mean, in the sense that I don't know that we know exactly what is going to happen over the next two weeks, three weeks, a month, as far as the economy. It seems to me, I'm no expert, that there will be a recession because 
markets. As, as a rule, I'm not for bailouts because I don't think they work. However, this is not a normal situation where you have, you know, an industry that hasn't hasn't uh, you know acted in the best interest of, of, of you know, as has been greedy or been giving loans they knew they wouldn't get back. I mean, you have here an existential uh, threat that's a, a virus. It's not like something the economy is telling you. It's just outside of that. So perhaps we need to help the economy. I don't know is, is the real answer yet, because I don't know that we know how bad it's going to be. All right, let's but talk about actually, well, Let me just quickly add, but the Democratic bill is like a goody list of their usual stuff. So I'm not sure just passing something to pass something's going to be helpful. So I hope the president thinks about that. Right. So that's I mean, it's not surprising. People are trying to leverage this for, for politics right away. It is a little bit disheartening. Well, here, well, here first, let's, let's take this before I, I'm, I'm trying so hard to avoid the partisan food fight today, at least, because it feels like this should be beyond it. Uh, here's what Trump said about what he's going to do. Play three, Mark. To ensure that working Americans impacted by the virus can stay home without fear of financial hardship, I will soon be taking emergency action, which is unprecedented, to provide financial relief. This will be targeted for workers who are ill, quarantined or caring for others due to coronavirus. I will be asking Congress to take legislative action to extend this relief. Because of the economic policies that we have put into place over the last three years, we have the greatest economy anywhere in the world by far. Our banks and financial institutions are fully capitalized and incredibly strong. Our unemployment is at a historic low. This vast economic prosperity gives us flexibility, reserves, and resources to handle any threat that comes our way. What do you think about all that? Sounds fine. I, I don't know that, you know, he, he, he's not very specific about what that means, but obviously people who are quarantined and people who are sick, and, and if there's some relief for them, I don't see why we shouldn't want that. Um, I would say, he's, he, you know, as far as I see it, he's, he's right about the economy in the sense that once this people feel like this is over, there's no real, no real underlying problem with the economy that shouldn't allow us to bounce back strongly afterwards. But then again, if it hits, you know, really badly and, and lots of people are dying, uh, God forbid, then I don't I don't know what's going to happen or how people will feel. And the problem for me has been that I would read one story and I'm like, oh, you know, it's not going to be that bad. We're just overreacting as usual. Then I read the next story and I'm like, oh, my God, we're all going to die tomorrow. And I go back and forth all day and I'm not sure what to think about it. And that's that's a separate problem we have, I think. Well, that was what I was going to ask you next. Where do you fall on the spectrum right now? I've been I've been pretty um, I, you know, I'm bullish, I guess. I mean, I've been pretty confident that you know, I knew it was going to hit us. I knew there'd be cases. And I knew there were going to be fatalities from this. But I've been thinking that it's going to be okay. I mean, this the stuff that's really gotten me, and I think a lot of people rattled, isn't even so much the, you know, the, the the cancellations and everything. It's the stories coming out of Italy are are pretty terrifying. Right. So that's why you know everyone talks about flattening the curve and all that stuff. I, I um, I'm typically not hysterical about these things. Most things don't turn out as bad as we think. Um, so, and I, I suspect that will be the case here as well, but that doesn't mean, so I think there's a wide range of positions you can take between hysteria and between dismissing something. And I think Trump was a little too dismissive in the beginning. There are, you know, even if it's, uh, you know, not worst case scenario, there are a lot of 
elderly people in this country and a lot of immunocompromised people and a lot of people who are nervous about this sort of thing. And I think we need to take that seriously. Uh, I think he's been better since then. But also hysteria is crazy. I mean, panicking and, and almost being gleeful about the economic ruin that might fall upon us simply for because it might help you with your politics. It's just really gross. And I, I, I just feel like there aren't a lot of grown-ups out there when it comes to this sort of stuff. And that, I think that's a separate problem that we have to face at some point that we don't know who to trust because everyone has some sort of political angle. And uh, I think that's problematic. Yeah, I mean, I played before the audio from the former Ebola czar, he's just a lawyer and a chief of staff who worked for a bunch of Democrat uh, administrations, Ron Klain, and, and he was saying that the travel ban is, is just a distraction tactic. He went on Rachel Maddow's show in front of millions of people. I mean, I, I think that that's reckless. I actually think that crosses a line from, like, I don't like what he's saying to this this is this is a guy who's who's telling people things, who's advocating against a position that could save lives and is therefore actually imperiling lives. And doing so, he must know that, like, we don't want to have a whole bunch of flights coming in from Milan, Italy, right? Like, he's not a total moron. Right. Well, you know, I think that that's why, you know, folks like him, it's why we can't trust what, what we're being told. And, you know, I mean, the idea, listen, here's the thing. Literally nothing the president was going to do was going to be okay for a bunch of people out there. They were going to either it was going to be enough, it was going to be too much, it was going to be too stupid. It, there, there is nothing he can do that is going to make them feel or, you know, satisfy them. So I think we need to ignore those kinds of people. I do get worried when I hear, you know, a doctor or, you know, I forgot his name now, but they leaked, you know, leaked his testimony or whatever. And he says 150 million people might get coronavirus. Well, okay, now show me your charts and tell me how you came to that, because that seems really, really bad. And I think that that's the sort of panic I, I really hate, because, uh, you know, you're just throwing a remark out there with any, without any context. It's very difficult to find it. Just what, what are you thinking now in terms of what you want to do next and, and what your, you know, what is your risk tolerance right now? I mean, are, are you are you social distancing and then some? I mean, where, where are you putting your own your own sense of how you're going to comport yourself here going forward? I'm not sure that's the right word, but you know what I mean. How you're going to conduct yeah. yourself. There you go. I don't know. I, uh, Buck, I have social distance for a long time. <laughs> I work in my own office and uh, I am not. A social butterfly. I'm not out there most of the time, but obviously I live in the real world and I have kids and I, I worry about that, especially one of them is immunocompromised and I feel like, uh, you know, I, I keep her home right now, even though I know, listen, when you're a parent, you're not going to be rational about that stuff. I, I realize that I'm in the real world, I have to be rational, but when you have your own kids, you're like, whoa, you know, so why not just keep them home and be safe and you know, wash your hands and do all the right things. That's what I try to do. I mean, you know, it's out of our control to some extent. You know, when Tom Hanks gets it, that really hits you. You know, you're like even famous people who are well taken care of can get sick. So, um, but in the end, I feel like it's probably not going to be as bad as Italy. I just feel like in some sense, we're just better prepared and we can move faster. And because of our economy, we can, we can deal with these things. So I, you know, and when I, you know, I leave this house actually and go out into the real world, I'm actually heartened to see that normal people don't act with the kind of hysteria that we see on Twitter, et cetera. You know, they're just going about their business, I think, as best as they can. And Twitter has been, you know, especially for, for in blue check journalist world, 
I feel like it's been worse than it has ever been in the last in the last week or so. I think this is like the ugliest. I mean, I, I told people before, you know, I, I went on Bill Maher's show and my message was we all want this to work. We all want Trump to do his best. This is really beyond politics. And I mean, I actually had people writing me messages like that. They hope that, I, you know, I and everyone I know gets coronavirus and dies. Um, the, 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 you mentioned that the gleefulness. There's there's a deep psychological sickness in American politics that this actual sickness, I think, is is showing us in ways. It reminds me a little bit of after after right after 9-11, there were people and I've told stories about this. There were people who were like, yeah, America got what I mean, Americans who were like, yeah, we got what we deserved. Yeah, no, I, I think this is the worst. It's a cesspool. Uh, it's been completely unhelpful. It's, you know, rather than help guide us, because Twitter can be amazing, and not just Twitter, social media, where you connect people who have, in, in ways, instantaneously, where they can help each other figure out what's going on in the big picture, right? That's not what happened. You just have rumors, you have idiocy, you have, uh, you know, people who, no matter what, you know, what Trump says, they're going to be angry, and other people, frankly, who will defend Trump no matter what he's doing as well. So everything becomes politics, and we can't, it's very difficult difficult to get like a good read on what you know the, the, the threat and maybe people don't know you know what the threat is I don't know but um, yeah I mean I've basically tried to turn it off for the most part because it's, it's not been helpful and that's that's a shame because it is an amazing technology when you really think about it and it should be much 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 more helpful do you think that the administration has reached a point where they they're locked in and in, in terms of how serious they should be and how focused they are on this direction initially I didn't think so um, and obviously I, I don't know if you've read these stories but you know because you have such a big centralized bureaucracy with the CDC it, literally this doctor in Seattle broke the law to try to help and track this and did a pretty good job so I, I think that we after this we need to rethink how we deal maybe in a more decentralized way well I, I you know I, I have mentioned that story and I've been saying to people you know this is where you know in the early days it was Oh, you know, the CDC, the CDC, the CDC funding and everything else. And I'm like, I told people, you know, I, I worked for the CIA, which, you know, has a, a lot, a lot of funding and a lot of people working for it and thinks it's really pretty high speed and cool. And if people knew the mistakes that go on there, I can't even imagine like, look, the, the fact of the matter is that if you're going to be a researcher in the medical profession, CDC, I'm sure, is a good place to go before you go into other places. But I think big pharma is more likely to actually come up with something that's really going to help this in the next six to 12 months than the CDC will. Oh, my God. Yeah. I mean, you know, you can't foresee this stuff sometimes. So I, I don't know how quickly they, they can move either. But but obviously they move far quicker than government. And, uh, you know, I already saw, you know, vaccines. There's rumors about vaccines being created in Israel and other places with these pharmaceutical companies. I don't, you know, the CDC is a, is a disaster. It it started out as a agency to help fight malaria, right? And now, you know, it's, it's a massive budget, spends most of its time telling us what, you know, what fruits we should be eating and, yep. uh, you know, how much we should be walking and yep. stuff. It's none of its business. It's a massive, massive budget. And it hasn't really been cut at all. That's, that's just a myth anyway. But... I've been writing about the CDC for a long time, and uh, they're, they're just a nanny state organization. They have far more important things to be worried about. But uh, still, I wouldn't want them in control of it. I think I, I trust pharma companies far more than I do uh, you know, any kind of centralized group. And also, I mean, think about this. You have China or Italy, and I'm not saying they have the similar size, similar kind of centralized uh, you know, socialized medicine, but they are centralized, right? And their reactions have not been good at all. So I don't know that... 
you know, that that, and we'll see these other countries are how they're going to deal with it now. So um, I don't know that there's any sort of, there's not one answer to this kind of thing. And it's, it's difficult no matter how prepared you are. People don't have to realize that you don't always have some solution to everything immediately. All right. Well, good luck with the social distancing. Keep yours, uh, yours close at hand and safe. And David, we always appreciate you making the time to chat with us. Thank you. Anytime. You too. Bye. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. You know, they keep telling us that we need to be adults and that Trump needs to be an adult and that, you know, that this is all about rising above partisan rancor and all this stuff. I mean, here's a tweet from Hillary Clinton from this morning. I know this is all hard for you, real Donald Trump, so let me spell it out. Free testing, fee waivers, emergency sick leave, quarantines, cancellations, giving a damn. Surely the president doesn't give a damn. The president might end up getting coronavirus. I assure you, the president gives a damn. But why do that? Can't can't put that on hold for just, you know, a, a few a few weeks here, even a few days. They're all talking about how we have to come together and, and face this and, and do what is necessary. And then they turn around immediately and they want to lecture all of us. I mean, here's another example. There's all this fighting over whether we should call it Wuhan virus, whether that's racist or not or Chinese coronavirus, here's the, here's how the media was referring to it as of, you know, about a week and a half ago. Play clip one. The Wuhan coronavirus has now surpassed the 2003 SARS outbreak. The first U.S. case of Chinese coronavirus was confirmed at her hosp- one of her hospitals. Inside that building is the world's first lab-grown copy of the Wuhan coronavirus outside mainland China. The Chinese coronavirus death toll has jumped to at least 26 people. The death toll from the Wuhan coronavirus spiked today. The Chinese virus, the coronavirus that is worrying the whole world. This comes as the Chinese coronavirus death toll has jumped to at least 26 people and sickened at least 835 people what did they did they just discover xenophobia and racism in the last week all those are all different shows on major cable news networks all calling it either chinese or wuhan coronavirus or whatever so was that racist or i just i just want to know what the what the rules are here I know there are more important there are more important things, although you could you could play that game with everything. Right. So now are we, are we allowed to talk about the toilet paper shortage? Or is, oh, there's more important things. Are we allowed to talk about, you know, what it's like to live in the world that's uh, in the midst of this? Or do we have to just all sit around and, and look at the statistics and be terrified all the time? We you know, life has to go on. We have to you know move on together. That's why I said we're going to do this show day and day in and day out where we have things to talk about. I'm sorry we haven't done. A greater range of topics today. I, I meant to get to some other things, but look right now, the truth is, this is the single biggest thing by far. I mean, nothing else even comes close to this story in the entire world, never mind just here in, in America. So that's why we've been spending the time on it that we have. Um, you know, what, what do I see? I wanted to tell you a little bit of what I, what I see coming here just so we can get on the same page with that. I'll have some other thoughts for you on, you know, there was a Supreme Court victory, well, short-term victory, at least, for the Trump administration on something that does still matter. And uh, then producer Mark and I will kind of, you know, take a breather uh, by having you guys tell us what you think in Roll Call. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Perhaps here's a moment where we can uh, talk about some other stories, some of the things that are happening in the country right now. There was a 
a stay granted yesterday on a federal court ruling has to do with the southern border. Now, look, everything now also has a bit of a of a Wuhan virus tie-in because everything is affected by this. And so we're talking about borders. We need secure borders. I think there's a greater understanding now of that than there has been in a long time, or at least there should be a greater understanding of that. I'm not sure that people have... No one changes their mind these days about anything, right? Now, you can never change your mind when new facts come in. That would be crazy. Um, but there was a federal judge, this keeps happening, federal judge who told the Trump administration, no, you can't you can't do that thing that you want to do. We're going... I, I as a federal judge, I'm going to say that that's not constitutional. That's, a, that's you know, illegal for some reason. Usually the the fallback is the Administrative Procedure Act. You know, they, they just come up with some twisted, you know, just trying way too hard legalese to try and explain why we are where we are on all this stuff, right? So this is where you get finally the Supreme Court able to look at this and say, no, 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 you, you, you got to let... They, they've they've lifted the stay that stopped the Trump administration from implementing the Remain in Mexico program. The Remain in Mexico program is pretty straightforward. It was set up so that if you come to the U.S.-Mexico uh, border and you claim asylum, you no longer get to just get released in the interior of the United States because this was just a huge backdoor process to come into the country and break the law in doing so, showing up because the ports of entry, they tried to limit how many people were coming through through these uh, through the asylum process, the ports of entry. So what they would do is they would just come across the border illegally, get arrested, and then never show up for their court date. Or if they do show up and they don't get asylum, they don't show up for their deportation hearing. There are all these levels uh, that, that it moves through in which, and by the way, people lied about this. Oh my gosh, I had so, there are so many Democrats. Oh, they all show up at their meetings. They'll all show up at the court hearings, I promise. No, they didn't. Of course they didn't. They were never going to. We all knew that. But people lie while it was useful to them about this because there's a big ideological investment that the left has in being quasi-open borders, right? That's the that's the real issue here. Um, they don't want – it doesn't matter what the facts are. It doesn't matter what the numbers are. They are um, just going to always favor – a policy that keeps us all uh, with this open borders, de facto open border status, where if you show up, you get to just say, hey, I want to claim asylum, then you get released to the United States. So the, the Supreme Court said, no, 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 no. They have to be able to continue the Remain in Mexico program because with that, well, what it does, or should they, 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 the administration must be allowed to do this because what it does is it takes people and says, no, you have to wait in Mexico while your claim is adjudicated so you don't get to have this backdoor entrance to the United States. That's all it says. That's all the policy is. And I think there are 80,000 people already who, and guess what? Oh, what a surprise. All these people that were showing up saying, oh, yeah, I want asylum. Not if they have to actually wait and show up in court and stay on the Mexico side of the border. Because it was all a scam, and we knew it was a scam, and I told you it was, and we were right. Okay, so the Supreme Court, except for Sotomayor, who I think is clearly the least capable lawyer sitting on the Supreme Court. Um, just based on her decisions, based on the way that she, you know, the way that she asks questions, based on her on her judgment. I mean, as a judge, she's a deeply uh, flawed and really subpar legal mind. And she, you know, what she says, no, you know, oh, of course, because it's not a policy thing for her, right? 
She sees the Trump administration and says, you can't do this. You, you, you have no control over borders, even though you're the executive branch and the commander in chief. Not allowed. Uh, the other the other judges said, no, no, no. OK, you know, you got to let the administration do this. This can't be the hashtag judiciary getting its way because that's what they've been doing all along. They're trying to, to slow down the president, trying to prevent him from being able to do his job, use the powers that he has. And then you then you also get that um, this update from Immigration and Customs Enforcement. They said that at current deportation rates, it would take 140 years to remove all the illegal immigrants who came in during the border surge of the last two years. A hundred and forty years, folks. That's just for the people that came in the last two years. Never mind, you know, the process, the speed with which we are able to generally deport people who are in the country illegally and who commit additional crimes or who, for whatever reason, are higher up on the enforcement uh, on the enforcement list. So they added 900,000 cases to ICE's non-detained docket. ICE's non-detained docket, according to the acting director of Immigration and Customs Enforcement, now has 3.3 million people in it. The number of illegal immigrants in the country is not 11 million folks. It's 15 to 20 at least. At least. Uh, this is also why the government, which we see has plenty of problems in a lot of ways, the government never really wants to do a full and accurate count of this because we'd find out that the government numbers have been wrong and that we've been lied to on this for a very, very long time. And now I have to say we can't really talk about the coronavirus situation uh, and the and we, we can't really talk about the border and given the coronavirus situation, not discuss how. Isn't it really important now that we have control at our ports of entry and that we know who's coming into the country and who's not? If you were somebody, and look, at some point, we, we do. this is where we're also saying that the United States has finite resources. We, we do not have the resources to pay for everyone's stuff from all over the world. We do not have the resources to be the world's soup kitchen and healthcare ward. We, we don't have that. We can't do it, right? We know this. We're already seeing other countries that their health systems have been overwhelmed in a crisis. Now, if you were uh, in in the midst of what could be an outbreak, I don't know, in, in a country south of our border, pick any country, and you knew that America's border was porous and that if you got here, you'd be able to count on world-class medical care given to you free of charge, you know, that might be a big incentive. But keep in mind that we already, with the people that are here in this country, are very worried about having the surge capacity in hospitals to deal with the increase in the, you know, if we have a sudden massive increase in the number of infected people in this country, having that surge capacity is something that we may not have. We don't really have right now. We'd have to work at it. And very interesting today, I heard in the conversation over masks, you know, they have the uh, N95 masks with the respirators that they can use for um, medical purposes, but also the ones that are that are industrial grade, I think, or for commercial activity, you know, people use for industrial purposes where you have sometimes very noxious chemicals and things that uh, can can have gases uh, that are, you know, a, a big concern for health reasons. They can change the uh, they can change the designation, just change the regulation around this. And then you'd have millions more masks immediately that would be able to be used. This is where government, you see government actually gets in the way sometimes. Apparently, the masks for the industrial use are just as effective as the, now, I mean, I don't know that. That's what I, I saw today um, 
I think it was Kevin McCarthy of the Congress saying that. So there are things that need to be done here, but we, we also need a secure border. And we also need travel bans. Isn't it so interesting that the Trump administration came in and established the right, and to, it went all the way to the Supreme Court, established the right to be able to, for a national security emergency, ban different countries from entering the United States, that the left fought this tooth and nail. There were protests. People were showing up protesting in airports. That We were told this was an evil policy, a racist policy. And now, if you're looking at what we have done right so far in this country to deal with the outbreak of Wuhan virus, it has been the single most important decision probably that Trump has made of, of all decisions so far. Using that authority that if the left had had its way, the president would not have even had. And just the entire focus on our border and having a more secure border is is clearly something that, uh, you know, the left doesn't want. And now we see this and understand that it is important for not just, you know, immigration is not just an issue about economics. It's not just a cultural and political issue. Immigration is also a net. It is a true national security issue because, and this is really what the conversation with David before started to get into that this is not an economic issue. We're not in a financial crisis. We are in a disease pandemic, right? We are in a in really under attack. We we are facing an invasion by a pathogen. And this is where federal government response has to be robust and where you see the authority that we give to the government to protect us needs to be used properly. Um, but part of that is establishing control over our borders, who comes and who goes. There are real national security implications that immigration touches on. That's not just a talking point that Republicans throw out there. And I, I do think it's noteworthy that the travel ban authority that the president had to go all the way to Supreme Court to assert that travel ban authority was something that was challenged very much by the left and that they were against him on this. And it may be the one thing, if we get out of this without having a, a, a catastrophic surge in cases, people are going to look back at the decision to limit those flights and say, wow, that, that might have saved a lot of lives. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Just over a week ago, many of the pundits declared that uh, this candidacy was dead. Now we're very much alive. We're going to bring this nation together. We're regenerating a democratic base. It's more than a comeback, in my view, our campaign. It's a comeback for the soul of this nation. And there's a place in our campaign for each of you. And I want to thank Bernie Sanders and his supporters for their tireless energy and their passion. We share a common goal, and together, we'll defeat Donald Trump. We'll defeat him together. We'll see. I was talking before about how this is uh, Trump in wartime presidency mode, and that is definitely what's going on. But you also have to understand that this is effectively the, the election... I believe the election, for all intents and purposes, will be determined. Will, will be decided uh, in the minds of the American people within the next sixty days. This is it. Now, what's much? If if you told me right now that we could have you know zero casualties from this, and 
it, you know, and there would be a, a Biden presidency, guess what? I'd say, well, we got a President Biden coming in. The single most important thing here, no question, is that this is dealt with properly by the government. Now, of course, if the Trump administration were now, now we already have casualties, I know that, but I'm just saying theoretically, the most important thing, I'm just trying to focus on what matters. The most important thing is that we have a, uh, a strong government and collective and individual response to this. This is really on everybody. You know, I really hope that people that have a, a, you know, a bad cough and they have the symptoms don't get on the subway. Like, don't do these. This is all very important. Don't do the things you're told not to do. You know, protect the people around you. Stay home. I think it's a 14-day quarantine is what they're recommending for people. So, you know, there are very real reasons here for optimism, but there's also reasons to be on on high alert about what the future is going to hold here. Uh, but the political implications of this are very, are quite clear, meaning that we're going to be able to assess how this was done, how well this was done. And, you know, I, I just wish that, that the, the Democrats and the left that are using this as a, a weapon to attack Trump all the time would, would trust in the American people's judgment. If this thing is a catastrophe and the Trump administration is held to account for it, They'll be held to account in the fall as well. I mean, this is something that no one's going to forget. And I think that this is where we see how capable Trump really is. He's being tested. Everyone always says, oh, administrations are tested by different things. You know, administrations are tested. This is Trump's test right now. I think he is up to it. Um, The other side of this is that they keep telling us that Biden is up to it. And to that, I just I have I have questions I have questions. Here is uh, Biden's spokesperson, Kate Bedingfield, on why is it why is it that Joe Biden drifts off and sounds like he's on uh, seriously it sounds like he's in some other universe sometimes. Here's what she said: Play 14. Is Joe Biden fit to be commander in chief? How do you answer that? You know, I have to say, this is a disgusting smear tactic. And this kind of thing is exactly why people want Joe Biden to be president. This kind of false, uh, you know, misleading, uh, basically conspiracy theory that, uh, you know, hang on, how is it a smear? Hang on, I'll let you talk, but hang on. How is it a smear tactic to ask you about a video where the vice president, in his own words, struggles to complete a sentence. How is that a smear tactic? Ed, respectfully, how many times have you struggled to complete a sentence on air? I'm sure it's air? happened many That's times. That's ridiculous. Okay. That's, well, of course. Let's roll, let's roll the tape. Well, going after the host, huh? No, I've, I've watched a lot of Ed Henry, actually, and I've never looked at Ed Henry in a moment where he knows he's being televised, where he knows... Uh, I've looked at many, many, many hosts on TV, and never have I thought, "Wow, is that person? Does that person have failing mental faculties?" Uh, and and I, I do think that you can say with Joe Biden sometimes that's a real, that is a, a an earnest conclusion you could come to, and and the health of the commander in chief is a real consideration. We know they've been talking about this with Trump all along. They've they've been going after Trump, members of the press, for being overweight. They say that's a problem, you know. Oh, and of course, mostly so they can just mock him because they absolutely despise him. But they say that his weight itself is a problem because it indicates that he could have other sudden health problems. He could have a heart attack or could have any number of these different things that happen. Um, I, look, I I don't think that Joe Biden is more competent than Donald Trump in a crisis. And that's really what this is going to come down to. That's going to be a key question that's asked here. I don't think that there's any reason to believe that's the case. 
Um, but I also want more than anything this to pass and for us to get the other side of this. And and I do think, by the way, well, we're going to get there. I know today, look, today's been a little bit of a gloomy day in America and for the world, folks. I mean, we're, we're in a rough spot right now. There's no question about it. The economy is absolutely in free fall, not because we have a bad economy, but because people are staying home because we're under assault by this disease. But, you know, I, I also think back to at the end of last year, and I'll tell you this. I, I, I sat down with uh, with my with my mom, and I remember for the first time in a really long time, I just was able to say, you know, things are really good. You know, things are really good in my life. I was happy, and and things were going well, and you know, the show was doing really well, and I get to hang out with producer Mark every day. You know, things were just good in life. And I remember I said it not because I thought it was going to continue, but because I knew that it wouldn't. I knew that there would be challenges. I knew there would be things on the horizon, and not just for me, but what was the next big challenge? You know, we've had 9-11. We've had the financial crisis. We were due for something. And I never liked to think that way, but I knew it was it was there. And that's where we are right now. We are in the midst of our once-in-a-decade major challenge as a country, as a nation, as a people. And I am, I am still very confident in our ability. I mean, if I had more money to invest in the stock market, I mean, I've already invested a lot. And I've invested and I've lost a lot of money in the last month. And I'm going to keep, you know, but now I shouldn't say I've lost money. I've invested. I, I believe that those investments will be made whole in time as the economy recovers. But you know what? Even if it doesn't, I, I vote in favor of America. I vote to support America. I want to keep businesses' stocks up. I want to do what I can, you know, what little I can to show that I have faith in this place, because I do. We have been through worse. We have been through more. We're going to get through this one, too. So today is a day we can all... You know, let it out a little bit, you know, shake, shake it off a little bit for sure. There's there's a understandable unease that I'm sure many of you feel. I know that I felt it in the last 24 hours, more than I have so far. But I also think we'll wake up tomorrow, it'll be a new day, and we'll feel like, all right, it's not over, but we're in the fight, and we're going to win the fight. Thanks for listening to the Bus, Sex, and Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. The show ain't over yet, folks. Keeping it real. It's time for Roll Call. All right, everybody. Like I was saying, we're going to get through. Uh, I, I want to hear from all of you. And I did. This is not just uh, me talking. This is true. I talked to producer Mark about this yesterday. We're trying to find out, although right now we got bigger concerns, obviously. But we are trying to get to a place where we can uh, take your phone calls as voicemails so that we can play them on the air and we can hear from all of you. I want to hear some of your voices. So we're working on that. Uh, you know, it's not going to be right away because, like I said, We've got some contingency planning going on here to keep the Freedom Hut firing no matter what, right? But we'll get this we'll get this going at some yeah, point. Yeah, we have to figure out how to stay on the air in case we have to stay yes. home. So Yeah, I mean the big concern for us is if they shut down the subway here in New York because they just realized that it's the single worst transmission node in the whole city, which it I mean it probably is. Spent a lot of time on that subway. Uh, that we can't get to work, and so that's why we have to set up the contingency plans. But anyway, we we thought about this. We are going to make moves on it, and we got we got to kind of see what's going on from there. Um, 
That's my way of saying, you know, team, cheer me up. Send me, let's get a lot of messages. I want to hear from a lot of you this, the next, you know, few weeks, okay? Especially a lot of first-timers who haven't written in before. It's very easy. You're just on Facebook. I'm sure you're on Facebook sometimes. Facebook.com slash Buck Sexton. Also on Instagram. I'm on Instagram. You can send you can send me messages on Instagram if you want. Buck Sexton on Instagram. That's uh, an easy way to do it. And if you want to email, if you like to kick it a little more old school, it's very easy. Team Buck at iHeartMedia, the company we work for. It's a huge company iheartmedia.com what's up i'd like to stress shorten your messages people i get some really long messages and i can't put them on the air because i can't can't have buck reading for five minutes per message yeah i mean it's look i'll I'll say this if we read everything that comes in if you wanted to have if you want us to be able to put it on air it's got to be like 300 words 400 words or less i mean Two paragraphs max. Two paragraphs is really one paragraph is a sweet spot. Two paragraphs is fine. Beyond that, we're not going to be able to read it on the air because it's too long and we got too many messages to get to. So I would say, you know, the the opti- the optimal message is, you know, a uh, hundred words maybe fifty fifty to or, or one line that's like bucket mark. You are awesome. You keep me safe and warm at night. Think of it like if you're calling into the show when we took calls. Yeah. A sentence or two that's really good. Your best stuff. Yeah. I think yeah. that's I think that's fair. All right. Produce, otherwise, you're going to be in the penalty box of the producer, Mark. Uh, let's see. Chance. Producer Mark, does a supposed woman who had Buck watch Dirty Dancing exist, or does she exist in the same way Adam Schiff's whistleblower in name only and just for the purpose of the story? I will say, you know who met her, actually? was uh, producer Jeff on the WOR show. Huh. She came by. She wanted to meet the famous producer Mark, but um, producer Mark was not here because he has a wife and a life. Yes. Um, and finishes the show earlier. So, yeah. So, yeah. She, so, producer Jeff. So, producer Jeff knows that she exists. Producer Jeff that's knows it. that there is a lady that exists who, who, the, who the buck is dating. Um, so, that's a thing. So, yeah. Although, I'm glad right, somebody has seen her. Um, yeah, no, I mean, I'm glad that I, I, otherwise I'd just be sitting here like, I promise she exists. She's yeah. totally real. She's totally real. You have a doll in your apartment that you make cookies with. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to tell you this, man. I was thinking about this. I almost like a week or two ago, I've ramped up my, uh, as much as I can, my, my reading lately. I mean, not that I read all day for work to do the show, but my not work reading, sure. you know, my, my reading just books that I want to read for fun. And, and I was thinking, I, could, I was like, I could do that or I could get a PlayStation 4. <laughs> I was so close. I mean, to getting it's a pretty pl- cheap right now, too. Yeah. PS5's coming out soon. Yeah, I was so close to getting a PS4, which I got to tell you, given the whole social distancing, self-quarantining situation mm-hmm. that's playing out all over the world, placed, I don't know, Amazon still delivers, right? I might have to get a yeah. PlayStation. If there's you know, a GameStop if I, near you? If I can't go out of my apartment for a while, that's really going to be and helpful. the best thing is nowadays... You don't even need to leave the house to get new games. You can just download, download them, them, right? Yeah. yeah. I don't even bother going to the store anymore. Look, as as long as as long as the food is still on the shelves and as long as we've got electricity and internet, you know, we, we can get through some pretty widespread social distancing and self-containment for it a while. It could be a storm or something. You could have no power, no yeah. internet, no anything. So this yeah. is actually better. Yeah, I mean that's that's yeah. Being without power, I will say that that day, I know they got the power in really quickly, but that day after Hurricane Sandy, when I was walking around and all these people didn't have power, it was it's a real shock. It's or not a shock, as the case may be, but you know what I mean. It's a it's it's really something that uh, 
surprises you when you go to plug in your phone to the wall socket and you realize, oh, that's right, I'm in the dark and this is the way it's going to be. Yeah. So, and so. you were lucky that it was only a little bit of time. Yeah, that was that was that was short, but yeah, no. So producer Mark is gonna have to take my word for it for now, but we will bring the mystery we'll bring the mystery lady by at some point during the day. The problem is she has a job. Oh, and so she's God. here during the day. She you, she you works. You didn't get an unemployed girlfriend? Not yet, no. Jeez. Ugh. Nope. All right. So we'll see. Well, and we may have more. We may have more information. I'm going to dole out that information slowly. We're going to hold back on any details about about uh, Buck's love life. Uh, until, I don't even know the details. Yeah, he doesn't no. even know anything yet until uh, until like the country is out of this. You know, that, that'll be like when it's springtime and we're all feeling better and we're past this scariness of this disease. That's when, uh, you know, yeah. That's when I think I'll tell you guys the stories. Um, Bonnie writes, hey, Buck, love your show. Keep up the good work. Just wanted to say something here. In a crisis, you don't change leadership, right? FDR served 16 years. He's the only president who served two eight-year terms back-to-back. So hopefully this will stand for the 2020 election. If all this virus keeps going on, this will be a crisis if it keeps going on. Um, look, they're going to they're gonna use this understand this that they're definitely going to um do everything that they can to make sure that this is used against donald trump so he does not get to stay as as president you know that's they're going to do everything they can to get him out of office so yeah yep fdr served four terms as u.s president um let's see here Rusty, hey, Buck, OSS here. I want to tell you about my experience with cruises. Don't knock it until you try it. All right, Rusty. Well, I'm, I'm glad that you've had good cruise experiences. Uh, I was adamantly opposed to going on a first cruise in 2018, but my lovely wife forced me, and I've been hooked ever since. I'm a bit of a germaphobe, but love cruising, and I just practice good personal hygiene while on board. P.S., I'm with producer Mark. Marvel movies are great, and these movies I can actually watch with my young ones, Shields High. So basically, he's telling me I'm wrong about everything. That was a great email all around. Yeah, I was going to say, that's apparently your favorite email of the day. Producer Mark is awesome and right, and cruises are good, Buck, you're wrong. I mean, it's to each their own, but I I personally enjoy cruises, and so do a lot of people. Where did you go on your cruise again? Uh, It was two years ago. uh, It was Bahamas and a couple other places. I don't remember. How long do you dock and spend on the land? That's what I know. And how do you avoid getting left behind? Well, they tell you what time the boat's leaving, and if you don't get back, like there's actually people who get on the boat early and then go watch over the railings to watch the people sprinting down the dock so they don't miss the boat. Oh, that's that actually people get yeah. close to missing the boat? Oh, yeah, because they're stupid, and they don't. They go get drunk on shore, what are the bars, and they don't realize it, and they don't realize what time and it I'm is. I'm guessing yeah. they don't sound like a little special helicopter for you, like that's kind no. of the end of your you cruise. You have to make your own way. You have to, to go meet the boat. Yeah. Right, yeah. Yeah. That's what I figured. Wow. Okay. <laughs> that's, that's a thing that happened. But how many hours are you usually you going to? Uh, I mean, that, like a whole one, day? that one we ended up skipping a stop. Uh, so we were in Nassau, Bahamas for two days. But usually it's like eight to ten hours. You know, I, I actually hear the cruise ships that dock in New York from my apartment. I can hear yeah. the, the horns and stuff. That's they, where we went out of uh, New York. Oh, yeah. From uh, Norwegian cruise. Yeah, there yeah. are cruise ships there, yeah. Look, I, you know, I, I feel bad for the cruise industry because I think it's, I'm sure there's, you know, tons of great people that work in it and and they've given a lot of people a lot of joy over the years and everything else. And I mean, they're just, no one's going on cruises right now. Oh, yeah. Right now, I would never go on a cruise. No, but I'm, but also think about, I mean, the the economic damage must oh, just yeah. be. 
I have one booked for December. I'm hoping uh, hoping that still happens. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've already got something on the books for end of this year, but it's not a cruise. But, uh, you know, I'm hoping. Although I did look at airline tickets. I was wondering. I was like, the airlines are having, airline tickets are super expensive still. Oh, really? I've seen some deals. Well, there are now, depending on where you're, but this was in for December. They're oh, not going to okay. give you a deal now for December. They're figuring, you know, they're using the algorithms. You only get a deal if you get, a plane on, get on a plane right now. Sure. Different deal. Uh, Wayne. Hey, Buck. This morning, some liberal who works in my shop was talking about how much Trump stinks. I said, what exactly stinks about Trump or what he's done? He said, Mexico isn't paying for the wall like he promised. I said, that's it? That's all you got? Orange man bad? I laughed, then said, you know, Mexico is paying for the wall, and China and whomever else we have tariffs with. Tariffs equals tax dollars equals military budget equals wall is being built. I never saw him turn so red, shields high. Well, Wayne, you were very amusing and obviously good on your feet in a debate. Uh, just don't don't make the libs too angry because they can cry or maybe they'll even try to, like, scratch your eyes out or something. So just be careful. Don't, ups- don't upset the libs too much, Wayne. All right? There are limits to the upsetting of the of the libs. Gina. Hi again, Buck. Heard you saying people were complaining about your stance on some of James O'Keefe's recent undercovers. I completely agree. I am reminded of one year or so ago where he actually planted false info to get the scoop. The news agency actually did their research and declined to press forward. Honestly, it degraded some of his subsequent pieces in my mind. It took a minute to get back on board. We need people like James, but the stories he needs to break need to be earth-shattering revelations, not mediocre, yeah, we know, tell us something new. Shields high. Yeah, Gina, that's what I mean. I mean, you know, I, I can get any number of people who work for, you know, I, I could, maybe not me because they know who I am now, but you go ask anybody at CNN if you're, you approach them in a social setting and get them a little drunk and be like, you know, what do you think what's going on over there? I'll be like, yeah, you know, we're not fair to Trump and we don't. Uh, the, a lot of them would probably say that, you know, if they're lower level people. I mean, the anchors wouldn't because they know that they've got to be all careful, right? But lower level people would say that. We get, You want to get them fired? What do you think that's going to do? What's the point? We already know what's going on over there there's not there's not there's no revelation so i understand people really want to think that like james o'keefe is always sticking it to the libs and sometimes he does but sometimes he's wrong or he overshoots or he misses just like all the rest of us so calling balls and strikes folks what we do here in the hut you're in the freedom hut this is the buck sexton show podcast james great name Chuck Schumer is an activist using his Senate seat to be an activist. Schumer does not care what he's uh, what he says. He's using the virus and calling President Trump incompetent to put fear in America and the American people. Chuck Schumer is a fear monger and attacking President Trump because he has hate towards conservatives and Trump. Shields high from WGY up in Albany. Well, James, thanks for writing in, man. Yeah, I think um, Chuck Schumer is being really... Uh, really gross about this whole virus situation. I do not think he's being helpful. I do not think he's being honest. And I think that you're seeing the character of some of these leaders in a way that we should all be very mindful of. We should we should remember. We should know that this is what this is what we're dealing with. Um uh, here we go. Chopper. Every time I see that I think get to the chopper. That's a different kind of chopper though. Buck, it won't do any good now, but Charmin is sold out. Oh, because Charmin is sold out, but when supply is restored Give the Charmin forever a go. Each roll lasts roughly six weeks, and it's wonderful to virtually never run out. Wow, I'm getting TP recommendations now from the audience, producer. There were a lot of them. I Some suggested bidets. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. 
But I could yeah. never do the forever roll. I don't think I have room in the bathroom for that. Yeah, it's a big roll. It's got to be a, a big huge roll. roll. Yeah, huge I may have to give you a special holder for it. Yeah, it's, I don't it's know too about much. that. Yeah, it's too much. I'm, I'm okay with just switching. But then out. it would stop I me would, and my wife arguing about who should change the. Well, I was going to. You know, I, I know what I do though. So I've got the toilet paper holder, and then I, I always keep the extra on top of the actual toilet, like you know where the. Yeah. And, and I just use the extra all the time so that if anyone comes over, a guest or anything, we always have a brand new roll that I never use that is actually in the holder that looks nice. And I just use the one that's above the toilet. Yeah. Uh, usually the, the toilet. And also that means that means the nice pretty one that's never touches my emergency in case oh, I forget. You know what I mean? Smart. Yeah. Usually our toilet paper is on the sink, like on the counter, because none of us bother to change it. Uh. Like we run out of the one on the roll when one of us actually puts it on. The holder, and then yeah, it does remind ones. me of that movie, The Demolition Man, with Wesley Snipes and uh, Sylvester Stallone, where they talk about the three seashells, and you never find out how to use them, but that's in place of toilet paper, and they think it's so funny that so- Stallone comes from an era in which they used wads of of paper for that purpose, and you know, we 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 live in a very advanced society now. I feel like we probably could up our game on this a little bit, you know. They're- you want innovations in toilet paper? Well, I mean, something better than toilet paper. I mean, wouldn't that be what a bidet is? Yeah, but you know, that's that's a whole other thing. Don't you need a towel then afterwards? Like, I think so. And actually, some in Japan have ones that then warm your butt. This is what I mean. Japan has like yeah. butt cleaning and butt warming instead of wiping, and you know, that's that's advanced stuff. That actually creeps me out a little bit because it's public toilets they have those in, and like, wouldn't that get dirty? Like, I don't know. I don't know. We're getting we're going yeah. we're going deep on this yeah. one. Larry, Abuck, during the early part of your show, I heard AOC bleeding about the irreversible nature of climate climate change and that we should be paying attention to it, whatever that's supposed to mean. I have one simple question for AOC and her ilk. If climate change is irreversible, which of course it is, why in the world are some people proposing that we throw unspeakable amounts of money while at the same time devoting unknown numbers of man-hours to dealing with the worldwide disruptions that some sort of pointless spending will cause economically and otherwise. If something is admittedly irreversible, wouldn't it make it a heck of a lot more sense to maximize our efforts toward preparing for it? It almost makes one think that rather than a genuinely imminent crisis, what we're actually dealing with is an agenda to grab and hoard as much power as possible in an effort to have complete control of the unwashed masses. That's just crazy, though, right? Shield side, Buck, and a producer, Mark. Um, producer Mark says to you, too, buddy, Larry. And, yeah, the climate change stuff is nuts. And shouldn't we be just take a moment here? I, I think it's fair that we take a step back and say, wow, maybe the scientific community, instead of allowing uh, for the constant browbeating and lectures over climate change, which is not a threat, maybe they had more important things to focus on. Maybe there were other areas. No, I'm not saying more. You can do this to anybody, right? Oh, how could you talk about that when people are starving in some far-off country? No, no, no. I mean the scientific community. We always hear about scientists and climate change. Why have we not been hearing in recent years about pandemics and pandemic preparedness? That's the real question. That's It is a real question, at least. Michael, hey, Buck, I grew up in a pretty tough neighborhood, so I know many to very tough individuals. They all have one thing in common. They don't know how tough. They don't go around saying how tough they are, constantly challenging people to fights like Biden does. Joe reminds me of the guy that's always running his mouth but can't actually back it up. I know a few of those guys too. Shields high. Yeah, Michael, I I hear you. You know, and Biden seems to have a chip on his shoulder about all this stuff. And then Andrew writes, Buck, Eddie Murphy's greatest two movies have to be Coming to America and or Trading Places. Are you familiar with the tie between those movies? 
when Hakeem meets the two homeless guys in the street, he gives them a bag of cash. Movies were so much better back then. Classics. Yes, I am familiar with both those movies as well as the tie-in. Everybody, please, stay calm, stay safe, stay sound. Hold your loved ones close. Listen to the authorities as much as you can about keeping yourself safe on this one. We'll get through. We will be together on this, and we will keep our shields high.